0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, uh, we're going to have physical day today, all right? So if we could have all the, the girls stand over there in the comment and need your help, and all the guys stand over we're going to line up. It's physical time. <laughs> Some of you guys, you don't even remember the last time you had a physical. Uh, well, um, fortunately, we're not actually doing real physical. But we are doing a physical. We're going we're gonna to check the health. You know, what does a physical do? It checks your overall health, right? You go in, you get a physical as you get older. You need to maybe have a little bit more f- frequent physicals when you're a student. You get them regularly before school, uh, semesters usually, at least when I was growing up you did. Uh, but you know, the physical is an important part of the health, of maintaining our health. Every now and then you just got to go to the doctor, right? Every now and then you just got to see what the manual says, what our health should be like. So what we're going to do today is we are going to uh, have a physical. We're going to use the book of Nehemiah to take our pulse and to check our heart rate concerning our family And our church, we've been walking through uh, Nehemiah three weeks in Nehemiah, that's all we're doing. Uh, Last week we started shift and we're we're asking uh, you to kind of shift your view, your mind, your opinion of what you think about your family, about your church. And shift it towards what God says about your family and about church. So we've been kind of unpacking Nehemiah. The background of Nehemiah is very simple. The people of Israel had fallen away from God, so they lost their nation. They were taken away as captives into another part of the world. Over 70 years later, they were allowed to come back and try to rebuild their community. They rebuilt the temple of God. That's the story of Ezra after god commissioned them to rebuild the temple god commissioned them to rebuild the city walls and there was a guy named nehemiah who didn't come back to rebuild the temple he actually stayed back in this foreign land and he was the butler of a king he was the butler of the king of persia and he got news that the city was still in rubble was still in ruin so he asked his boss Can I go back and help rebuild and lead the city to become a place of identity again? So the king of Persia said, sure. And he went back and he helped them establish the city, what is to become Jerusalem once again. Now, here's the deal. We're talking about a city they had very limited number of people, maybe fifty thousand people at the max were uh, represented in that town and in that city and and here 's what 's interesting about the book of Nehemiah is that it 's found in the middle of the Old Testament, but it 's actually the last event to take place in the entire Old Testament. So when you read the book of Nehemiah, I want you to be thinking, this is the end of the Old Testament. This is the last thing that you 're going to hear about God. In the Old Testament, this is it. So let's look at it through the eyes of what a church should be like and through the eyes of what our family should be like. So here's what he got. When he got there, this is what he might have seen. He might have seen something like this. He might have seen a city that was in rubble. He would have seen and heard that the city was in ruin and his heart was broken over broken walls. Now, why in the world was his heart broken over walls, because this is important. This is not about rebuilding walls. This is about rebuilding a community. This is about establishing a safe place where people could grow and care for each other and nurture each other and a safe place against the enemy and the attacks of those around them where they could gather and seek the face of God together. This is about not a city walls, but this is about a community. So what happens a lot of times is is uh, this is like a lot of the Old Testament, like what does it have to do with us today? has a lot to do with us today because what we're attempting to do here in our lives at church is to build a safe place, a community that cares, that makes a difference, and a place that you can come from the attacks of the world, attacks from your life, the stresses of life, and gather to a place, a safe place to see God. And our family is a mirror of that as well. Our family is basically the model, and church should mirror the family. So today as we read Nehemiah, I want you to do two things. I want you to mirror or look through the lens of Nehemiah through your family. So when we take the physical today, we're going to see what a healthy family looks like. When we take the physical today, I want you to be thinking about your family. When we take a look at the church today, at Nehemiah, I want you to think of our church, I want you to think of the church that you're part of. Because this isn't about walls, this is about restoring lives, and it's exactly what the church and our homes are to be about. So, by the way, Jesus told us that we are that city. We are that that new community. We are that kingdom on earth until he returns. So this is a great example, great mirror of what we are to be like. In this life now last week we went through chapters 1 through 4 and just kind of a quick review chapters 1 through 4 Basically, he showed up to picketers to protesters and divisions uh, He showed up to a bunch of people that didn't want him to be there He had to rally and inspire and a couple of things that last week We learned is that as a church and as a family we must have a clear Passionate mission of what we want our family to be like of what we want our church to be like Some of you you just get married and say I hope men you just wing it God doesn't want you to wing it through your marriage. He doesn't want you to wing it while you raise kids. He wants you to have a clear mission of how you want your family to be and to act like and how you want your church to live, how you want your church to respond and to be in this city. He also told us that a church and a family, uh, we must stand together against attack. We talked about this last week, how there will be those that will come against you, that will try to divide your family, that will break up a marriage, that will try to, to bring division in the church. We've got to stand together. Also, last week, we talked about how, me, how we must work together if we're going to see it happen. So last week, we gave this opportunity for you to, to get to know a ministry in our church, and that is the Pit Crew. And uh, um, Joanna, Denny, if you could come down here for just a minute. Here's what we're going to do this week, is we're going to give Joanna a couple of minutes to tell you a little bit about ways that you can be involved in Kid Venture. So I'm going to have you go right over to this mic right here. And here's how it works out. Last week you heard about the Pick crew. By the way, they still need you. So if you have not signed up yet and you just totally forgot, there's uh, Shauna right over there. Get a hold of her after church. Now, hi. Hi. Here you go. Uh, this looks. Uh, here, I'm going to lower this a little bit, Sean. I mean, uh, Chris. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> I've got Chris, uh, Sean's wife, right here. All right, you're going to have to fix that. Uh, Joanna, she is our, uh, children's ministry director. She does a great job. And, uh, a way that we are a church, that we, that a church works together to accomplish a great community. So, um, tell us a little bit about what happens over there in KidVenture.
1: Oh, you, man. Yeah, go ahead and stand okay. in front of it. There it's, it's awesome. It's exciting, uh, to be able to be a part of your kids' lives and, Watch them from itty-bitties in the nursery and grow in love of God's word and uh, to worship with them and just to come alongside of y'all as you bring up the next generation. So super, super fun. We have tons of ways that you can get involved uh, from hanging out with the little nursery itty-bitties to... uh, Coming alongside the older kids, we have so many different ways that you can serve. Uh, even helping tear down after KidVenture, you know, we have to set up every morning. We have to tear down. So if you're looking for a way to serve, a way to come alongside our families and our kids, come talk to me. Because there are so many different ways that you can help in KidVenture. Now, I'm going
0: to ask a couple of questions about her. But just, just a kind of a footnote to the pit crew and the KidVenture is that if you come to the pig crew in the morning and unload uh, and help them set up, just you can go right over to Kid Venture for another twenty minutes and and set them up because all that stuff's coming out of the trailer about the same time. So you could like be a part of two ministries and still come to church in a year. And then afterwards, you help them tear it down. So it's pretty cool. Uh, so there's nursery, there's uh, there's the crawlers and toddlers, right? Yes. Uh, there's um uh, the pre-K, right? Preschool. Yes. And what what ages does Kid Venture go up to?
1: Uh, we go up to fifth grade. So um, this year we've had our switch from sixth grade to fifth grade. So we break it up into nursery. That's up to zero to two. And then we have our two and three uh, toddlers, and they're super, super fun. We actually do Bible study with them on their level. And then we have the four- and five-year-olds. Uh, and then we have our elementary age, and we break up into six through eight and nine, nine through eleven.
0: So um, if they can teach, they can teach. They can, you can be part of leading our kids to Christ in, in their knowledge of Jesus. Uh, or maybe that's not your thing. They can uh, play games. They can hang out with the kids. They can help. You don't just have to be a Sunday school teacher, though. If you want to try that, I think you'd be great at it. Um, what, is, what are some things, or let me ask you this, what is the commitment level that's, that you would need from somebody?
1: Okay, well, usually we ask for just once a month. Anybody can do that. Uh, One week a month. And the most awesome part about it is Luke has been uh, recording our services. So you don't even really have to miss out on that. You can listen to that online. So uh, we ask for once a month. If you uh, just want to help out, you know, uh, Ted mentioned games. If you love to lead kids in games, we actually are looking for a helper in that area. And so that's about 10 minutes every week, and then we have something called Fifth Sunday, which happens four or five times a year, uh, and we are looking for When's something. One's next Sunday. Yes, one's next Sunday. Uh, I'm hoping, I would love to start a drama team as well, so if you like theater, if you have kids that like theater, uh, I would love to have you get involved.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Joanna. Thank love you. you. Let's give it up for Joanna, KidVenture. kid You know, as a church, this is the space where we find our place, and some of you, you need to find your place, and uh, last week, we talked about how, you know what, it takes all of us. All of us doing our part to do something great. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And Nehemiah asks, is this a healthy church? Is this a healthy community? Is your family healthy? So we're going to take a physical. Uh, chapter 4 ends on a note of victory. But now there's a threat from within. And in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, now uh, there's a problem. And all of a sudden, uh, the uh, you know, this is called a a what? Stethoscope, also aka the thingamajiggy that listens to your heart, right? So, um, what we're going to do is that we're going to listen to the heart of God concerning godly communities, including family. So, uh, Nehemiah 5, verse 1 says this Show the men and their wives. uh, Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now, that basically means that their friends and family started getting in a fight. And, uh, they started arguing with each other. Let me tell you something. This is a chapter where you hear nothing about the building of the walls. No mention of the walls. Notice that when we fight with each other, nothing gets done. So, uh, this is, this is a light bulb moment. Some of you, if you have issues with somebody in your family, in your home, if there's, man, you can't move forward in your home or as a church if there's infighting going on. Everything comes to an end. Says, in uh, verse 2, it says, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. That means we are hungry. We're in need. Still others, others, uh, verse 3, others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes just to get grain during the famine. That means some were in trouble. They're getting desperate. And then still others, verse 4, were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards, and we are in debt. So we're in need, we're in trouble, we're in debt. They've fallen on tough times, famine and high taxes. They're overstretched, they're overstressed. And Nehemiah goes on to say that, you know what, because of your debt, because of this issue with, uh, with your finances and your debt being out of order, this is what he says. He says, your children are becoming slaves because of your debt. He says, they're in debt to so many people that it's compared to being in change. I want you to write this down. This is a healthy sign of a family in a church. And the healthy sign is this. A healthy family a church takes care of their finances. Now, Nehemiah is not only a spiritual book, it's very practical. He says, there's problems in the money department. And when there's trouble in the bank account, there's trouble in the home. He says, they live and they conduct their money Without God's perspective. And it's time to live and conduct and to view our money through the lens of God's word. So many problems in families are a result of poor use of money. Money problems are the number one problem in families. You realize that? The number one reason for divorce are arguments over money. The number one reason why couples are intimate, aren't talking, don't enjoy each other, are money and stresses of money. The number one reason why churches fail are because of money. And it can tear families and churches apart. It can rob a community of life. And this is what his response was verse 6. He says, "When I heard their outcry and these charges, he said, man, I was angry." Let me ask you something. Do you get angry about your money problems? Do you get angry at your debt? Do you get angry at the at the misuse of your own funds? Some of you, that's why you're arguing it so much. Because you are angry and you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know how to communicate it, so you just get angry. Well, the Bible says that in Nehemiah, verses 7 through 13, Nehemiah had a plan, and his plan was to gather everybody together and to basically call a meeting. And I want to ask you something, you know, If you want to get out of financial bondage, you have to have a plan. You got to, maybe you need to call that family meeting and say, we're going to do things differently until we get out of this hole. We're going to spend differently. We're going to purchase differently. We're going to make changes. And you don't just do it, you meet and you talk it out before you do it. See, this is the problem with a lot of families is the husbands realize there's financial problems and they just make changes without talking to their wife. And then they just assume their wife should be along. Or wives just make the changes and expect their husbands to know better. We're not talking about this. And a sign of a healthy family is you talk about money. You talk about it. You get your finances in order and you take care of them. So this was his plan. He asked all the nobles, all the richie people. He says, give back their land, stop charging interest and redeem their debt. Pay it back to them and set them free. Here's the second healthy sign of a family. And that is we look out for each other. You see, Nehemiah heard that there was problems going on and he didn't just send them, to a conference. He didn't just send them to a book aisle on finances. He actually did something about it. And let me tell you something. This is what a healthy family does. We look out for each other. When we see somebody in need, we do something about it. In a church, you know, a church is healthy when we see somebody who's hurting and we do something about it. We see a need and we try to meet it. We don't just send them downtown or we don't just kind of try to send them to somebody else. We try to do something about it. You know where that happens? In the small groups. Some of you guys, you're like, well, I'm in need and, and your church isn't helping me. Well, number one, we probably don't know. Number two, it's probably because you're not in a small group where people can know about your life because that's what small groups do. That's where we care. That's the community. That's the place where you'll get prayed for and loved on and cared for and you'll be laughed with and maybe laughed at a little bit. I'm just kidding. Uh, you'll, you'll share the joys of life together and the troubles of life together because a healthy family looks out for each other. Nehemiah was angry at the injustice, the, impre- uh, the oppression and the disunity. He was outraged. And you know what? We are to stand up for each other and we are to stand up and help each other to find solutions and make sure that everyone is taken care of. And here's how I see it in a family. You know what? We have a lot of young people that do their own thing. We have a lot of parents that let their kids do their own thing. And they live separate lives. They have husbands and wives live their separate lives. It's time to become healthy and to care about what's going on in each other's life. Not just care, but be there for each other, to make a difference in each other's life, to be involved in each other's life, to not ignore each other's life, but to take care of each other. This is what he goes on to say in Nehemiah 5.14. He says, Moreover, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until their 32nd year, that's for 12 years, neither I nor my brothers in the food allotted to the governor. He says, uh, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't take the money and the food that was allotted to me. He says, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels, 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. So we had a food allowance and a money allowance. He says, their assistants also lorded it over. The people, that means they had to get paid to. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. He says, instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. I had a large staff, he says, but I paid them out of pocket. Verse 18, he says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because of the demands were heavy on these people. He never expected anybody to do What he didn't expect himself to do, and I want you to write this down, is that a generous uh, life is is a sign of a healthy family, that a healthy family and a healthy church lives generously with each other. He sacrificed for others and for the kingdom. He practiced what he preached. A healthy church lives generously and gives generously. Let me put it this way. Um, We're not a big church. I don't know if you realize that we're not we don't have like uh, we're not a mega church. We don't have thousands of people and uh, we don't have tons of money coming in. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't have a big salary and all of our staff. They're either volunteer or we just give them an honorarium to say thank you. And it's not and they all work other jobs. Chris, our worship pastor, you know, he has a full-time job outside of the church. Sean Denny, our youth pastor, he has a full-time job outside of the church. Joanna Denny is not a a full-time or even a part-time employee of our church. She takes care of her family, but she's she's staff. And these are, those three receive an honorarium, a thank you for your service, I wish we could do more type thing. All right? I don't make a lot of money. I'm not getting rich on the church. You know why? Because... The church isn't a place where we can do that right now. And and even if it were, I don't know what I would do about it. But I'm going to take the attitude of Nehemiah and I'm going to go without so that we can, as a church, move forward as a community and do more in our city, do more in our community, do more outreach and take care of more people around us. See, that's the attitude of Nehemiah. And is that your attitude? Are you willing to go without in order to see the kingdom be built? Are you generous in your giving? See, I don't expect you to do anything that we don't do. I don't expect or ask you to do it. And when it comes to your family, mom and dad, you set the pace. You see, If you want to raise up generous kids, you got to be a generous person. If you want your kids to be giving to each other and giving to their siblings and giving to their families, and if you want them to have a generous heart, then mom, dad, be generous. Set the example like Nehemiah said. And you know what? He did something drastic because they were in drastic times. And drastic times require sometimes drastic measures. And some of you are in a financial bind at home and it's time to be drastic. Now, I'm not a money seminar kind of guy. I I don't do those sort of things. I don't give those sort of talks. But if you need a money makeover, I want to refer a book to you. Write this down. Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, it's one of his books and another book, Total Money Makeover. Two books that if you are in drastic financial times will lead you down a path of drastic measures that will ultimately make you debt-free and bring freedom to your life. Um, get drastic. Find freedom. It'll live generously. That is a sign of a healthy church and a healthy family. So how did he survive? How did he make it? Like, If he didn't make any money, how did he survive? Look at verse 19. He says, remember me? With favor, my God, for I have done uh, for all I've done for these people. He says, you know what? I'm just going to trust God that you're going to take care of. Me. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to trust God that you're going to take care of me. So it goes on. This is interesting here. Nehemiah 6, he says, they're almost done with the wall, and all of a sudden they're attacked again by somebody else, another accuser. Look at this, Nehemiah 6, verse 1. He says, when the word came to Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to the time I had not set the doors in the gates. That means the entire wall was done, but they hadn't put the, uh, put the doors in. So they were almost done. They have not put the doors in. He says, and Sambalat and Geshem, these two guys sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Oh No. Everybody say, Oh No. This is also known as the Valley of Ono. Oh and what we're going to, he says, meet me in oh No, And he says, but they were scheming to harm me. Here's what happens. A healthy church keeps the main thing, the main thing. A healthy family keeps the main thing, the main thing. Here's the deal. They were about to be finished with the wall. And these, these people who were scheming against him said, meet me in the valley of, oh, no. And he said, oh, no. Literally, he said, I'm not going to do it because we have been given a mission. We've been given clear, clear mission and vision of what our community is supposed to be like. And I'm not going to be brought down from what I know we are to be doing. Some of you, you have all these people scheming against your family, maybe scheming against your role and what God wants you to do in our church or in, in the vision of your life and you have voices calling you and telling you, trying to distract you and, and get your attention saying, Come, come do this. Come, come here and do this. Hey, come here and do this. You've got to stay out of the valley of oh no. Here's what he did. This is how we respond to verse 3. He says, So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. He says, Man, I'm keeping the main thing, the main thing. You're not going to pull me away from what I know I'm supposed to be doing as a father. I'm not going to be distracted from what I know I'm supposed to be doing as a husband or as a wife or as a mother. I'm not going to be distracted from what I know what God has called me to do in this church. He says, I am carrying on a great project and cannot come down. He says, uh, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the message, and each time I gave them the same answer, no. He kept the main thing, the main thing. So how do you keep out of the valley of Ono? Write this down. This is the one way. He says, right here, he says, when they try to divert us, he says, I will not be distracted. There will always be distractions that will try to grab your time, grab your attention. There will always be people that will try to say, this is what matters in, in, in your life. And you need to know what God has for your family. You need to know what God has for you as a wife, as a husband. As a son, as a daughter, you need to know that the other families, as precious as they are and as much as you love them, God has called you to be a family, you to stay knit, you to be a community, you to be a place of, of life and hope and don't allow the distractions and the things. You know what? Let me tell you something. Just, sometimes even things we do for our kids are a distraction for what's right for our kids. Listen to me on that. Because some of you... For the sake of your children, you get them involved in things that only stress out you as a family and don't contribute to the mission of your family, but actually divert you from the mission of your family. Now, some of you, it might be sports, and for some of you, it may not be sports. Some of you, sports is a wonderful way for your family to be knit together, and for others, it is a distraction that stresses you out. Right? For some of you, it's any kind of activity or extracurricular event or, or, or you know, could be anything. Could be a hobby, whatever. If it's stressing you out and it's diverting you from being knit and having joy in life and being a shelter, a place of peace where you're laughing and enjoying each other, it's a diversion. And don't listen to that voice that says, sign them up for this one more thing. Do this one more thing. Plug into this one more thing. So many things will try to say, come over here, do this. But he says, I'm not coming down. I will not be distracted when you try to divert me. Nehemiah says, I know what is at stake and I will keep my eyes on what's important for our family. Well, there was another attempt. The next few verses, verses five through seven, he has sent a letter. And in this letter, he has said that, this is a letter that was a lie about what they were trying to do. And they said, if you don't meet with us, we're gonna send this letter out to everybody. Now, think about that. If there was email at that time, basically somebody would say, all right, you either sign up for this event or you come meet with me or I'm going to send this mass email out to everybody you know. And I'm going to tell everybody about what you're doing, and it's a lie. He says, he says I'm going to tell everybody you're trying to trick everybody, you're trying to build this mighty wall because you're going to attack everybody. He says, you either meet with me, Or I am going to spread this lie. And this is what he says, verse 8. He says, I sent him this reply. He says, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. He says, They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. He refuted it and he exposed their motives. He says, But I prayed. He says, God, he says, Strengthen my hands. I want you to write this down. It says they were trying to disgrace us, but I will take it to God. That's what he says. He says, you know what? There are people that are going to lie about you. There are people going to question your motives. There are people going to try to twist your words. You know, when here's here's a practical thing with family. I always tell couples, you know what? As much as your extended family is always going to be a part of your family, the most important family are the ones in your household, your husband, your wife, your kids. And I said, and if extended family distracts you from being a solid and healthy family as a unit, then guess who comes first, not your extended family. In-laws, I'm sure you would agree and would want this, that you would want your husband and wife, your, your, uh, your son or daughter-in-law or vice versa, to be healthy and strong. And so, so don't be a wedge in their relationship. Don't be a wedge that's going to distract them or pull them out. And don't threaten them. Don't say, well, if you don't show up at Thanksgiving, then, uh, then I'm going to tell everybody that you just don't like us anymore. Right? Paul says, uh, I mean, uh, Nehemiah says, he says, you know what? There will be people, sometimes in your own family, that will try to discredit you and disgrace you. There will always be somebody at work that will try to talk bad about you. There will always be somebody who will try to bring you down and say, well, you can't do, kid, because you stink at working with kids. Well, you know what? If God's called you to do that, God can put you in a place and empower you to do that. Here's the deal. Go to God with it. Nehemiah simply said, God, give me strength. Give me strength. God, you deal with the bad motives. You deal with the disgrace. You deal with what is being said. And, Lord, just give me the strength to do what is right. Everything Nehemiah did was clothed in prayer. Lies that are spread can often paralyze us with fear. God, give me strength—not by might, not by power, but by Your Spirit. Oh God, let me do this. Let me ask you something. This is what you're going to find all through Nehemiah: is that every time trouble arose, you know, this, Nehemiah is actually one of the most prayful, uh, prayerful guys in the entire Bible. Every chapter mentions Nehemiah's prayer life. Every chapter. I want to ask you guys when trouble comes your way, how fast does it take for you to talk to God about it? Is He your last resort when you've tried your very best to fix it and it falls apart? Or do you, like Nehemiah, stop in your tracks and give it to God? This is what He calls us to do and to be. Here's another attempt in at Nehemiah in uh, the very next verse in 10. He says, uh, He. This guy comes to him and he says, hey, Nehemiah, they're going to try to kill you. So you should go and you should run to the temple and you should hide in the temple. Now, let me tell you something. The only people allowed in the temple were priests. So this guy came to him and said, you should run and hide in the temple and do something you're not supposed to do and and dive in there. and and and." But Nehemiah was wise to them, and this is what he said. He said, verse 11, he says, but I said, should a man me run away? I love that idea by the way. He says, man, you may look like a runner, but I'm not a runner. Some of you guys need to look in the mirror. Some of you men, some of you women need to look in the mirror and say, will a man like me, will a woman like me run away? Have that kind of fortitude? And he says, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life or to save his hide? He says, I will not go. He says, you're trying to get me to do something that I'm not supposed to do. You're trying to make me go someplace where I'm not supposed to be uh, at. Uh, That is not for me to be there. You're trying to pressure me and tell me to run away. And he says, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. And he had hired him to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. I want you to write this down is that they were trying to deceive us but I will not compromise. That was his response. I want, to, I want you to hear this. There will be people, there will be family, there will be people even in your life that will try to distract you from your mission in God. They will try to distract you from your mission in your family. They will try to lead you astray and lie to you. You know, I hear it all the time. Uh, wives, uh, they hang out with friends and they, they fill their, their, their heads with, with lies and, uh, about their husband from other people. Right? They'll say, well, you know, he's good for nothing. You should just leave me. He's a, you know, or, well, I can't believe he did that. Same thing with the husbands. You hang out with God you go, man, I wish my wife was like that. I wish, you know, I wish I could have a life like that. And all of a sudden, you get these lies. You get these attacks and, and the enemy will try to say, run from your marriage, run from your wife, run from your husband, run from your kids and run. And you need to look in the mirror and say, am, am I the type of man that will run? And the answer is no, you're not going to run. You're not going to run, wife. In fact, you're going to take it to the Lord and you say, I will not compromise my family. I will not compromise my marriage. I will not compromise what God has called me to do and to be. And when it comes to church life, God has called us to stand pure and to be honest before God in the mission that He's called us and not to bow down to compromise in our life. A friend of Nehemiah was tempting him to compromise his faith. And he says, I will not be pressured to sin. I will not be pressured to quit. I will not be uh, pressured to compromise my faith. We will be tempted by the enemy, it's a guarantee. How will you respond? Verse 14, he goes on. He says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God. He, bends, he begins to pray. Remember, he, he bathed everything in prayer. He says, because of what they have done, remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. He says, God, remember them all. God, it was hard. But then he says this. He says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, In 52 days, so basically says, God, you know, all those people that talked about me (laughs) in your face, everybody. Right. I was talking about this last week. This was a wonderful in your face moment. 100 years of ruin. And they built the wall in 52 days. And he says, ha, in your face. He says, you tried to stop me, God. Remember Sam Ballot? Yeah, he tried. Remember Geshem? Remember Tobiah? And remember those prophets? Remember those people? Remember those ladies, God? All of them, they tried to intimidate me, but ah, we finished. You know what? One day you're going to be able to stand before God and say, you know what, God? Our marriage survived. Our family survived. This church survived. What you called me to do survived in the face of those that tried to attack us and try to bring us down. Nehemiah reminds us that the spiritual battle is greater than the material battle. The barriers were not the resources. Guys, listen to this. In 52 days, he did what a 100 years could not do. And it wasn't about having lumber and the materials and the stone and the people. It was about the obstacles of the heart. The entire book of Nehemiah is about the verbal and emotional and psychological attacks that he had to combat. Nehemiah is a great reminder that the spiritual battle is greater than the material battle. Chapter six ends with the completion of the walls, but the critics kept coming. the intimidation kept coming. the detractors will never stop. And like Nehemiah, guys listen, Jesus accomplished the mission. Jesus came, he lived this life, he was God on earth, he walked this earth, he lived a life without sin, he died for our sin and he rose for our salvation, he finished his work but today the enemy is still attacking the church, is still attacking our lives but I want you to know Jesus has finished and accomplished the work but Jesus is still at work in the world to draw us to him and to help us to overcome these attacks. Now that the walls are finished, there's a new type of work to do. And this is what I want to end on, this thought right here in Nehemiah 7, verse 4. He says this, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people, and the houses had not been rebuilt. He says this, he says, man, the city is large. Man, we built this this great wall of city. And he says, you know what? It's spacious, but it's empty. We got a few empty seats here, right? I mean, God blessed us with a great place here at the AMC. We think, man, God, this place is spacious, but it's got so many available spots. It's large and spacious, but few people in it. So the city was empty. So you know what they did? In chapter 7, they sent out invitations. They went out to talk to people. They began to gather in the exiles. They began to gather in people, and they said, hey, come home. There's a place for you to come that's place where you can meet God, a place where we can be family, a place where we can be community. And the entire chapter 7 is a list of all the invitations. It's a list of all the people, all the places they went where they said, hey, come home. And I want you to write this down is that a healthy family, a healthy church invites others to come. The kingdom of God is large and God is sending us and calling us to invite the exiled to come to the city, to come to the community. Of Christ, this is, this is how you know a church is healthy. Number one, its finances are in order. And I want to tell you something, our, our church is healthy. We don't make a lot of money, but what we have is used wisely and taken care of in a, in a godly and honorable way. Uh, and, and in our personal lives, uh, the church will be healthy when you begin to do that as well. And the church and the families are healthy when we begin to look out for each other, when we begin to take care of each other, when we, when we purpose in our lives to not let anybody be left behind. And we also make sure that we are living generous lives and we're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And then he says this, you know a church is healthy when you are inviting somebody to it. You know, there are certain individuals that I think, man, our church is, is vibrant because of, of certain individuals that I can count on probably two hands that are consistent at inviting people. And I think, man, thank God that people are inviting people. We are going out into our community, into our neighbor. We're not going to, you know, a lot of our neighbors are part of our church because we care about our street. We care about our neighbors, you know. How about you? Do you even know your neighbor? Do you, you know that guy at work? He's just waiting for somebody to invite him. You know, that person at school, they're just waiting for somebody to invite them. Their heart is hurting. Their life is in chaos. And they're looking for a community where they can be cared for, a community where they can find hope, a community where they they can get some answers about God. And and God tells us that we are that community, that city, that light of hope. And he says, now go. And I want you to read this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the invitation that God gives you today. This is the invitation that God calls us to give to those around us, to go and invite them to come in, to be a part. Come who are tired, come who are weary, come who are exhausted, come who are stressed, come who are just at the end of their rope and you will find rest for your heart. Jesus says this in a parable about the kingdom. He says, then he says in Luke 14, 23, he says, then the the master talking about Jesus referring to himself, told his servant, go into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Now, the house isn't talking about church. The house is talking about the kingdom of God. Now, this just represents a gathering of the kingdom of God. It's not talking about an actual house. But we know that we are healthy when we are inviting, when we are seeing that growth through invitation. So they moved in to the city. And here's where we're going to end in Nehemiah 8.1. He says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. <laughs> they had their own water gate. How about that? Um, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, same guy as the book, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing before them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up, and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And of all the people, he lifted, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces, To the ground. It's the last thing. A healthy church, a healthy family, are people of the book. I'm not talking about, you know, T V guide. I'm not talking about, you know, some other book. I'm talking about the book. I'm talking about the word of God. Some of you guys, you want to you you want to pulse, you want to get the heartbeat of your family. You want to get the heartbeat of of if your family is healthy, are you guys growing in God's word together? Are you guys seeking God's word together? Are you actually getting out God's word and growing as a family together? You see, the Bible is not a suggestion list. It's not an options list, but a to-do list. A healthy family lives by it, is directed by it, and lets it direct the decisions of their life and their choices. And some of you, you're you know, you're like, man, I want my family to be healthy. Well, start living God's ways and watch your life's and your family's ways be turned around. This is so important because mom, dad, you have to lead the charge in this. They don't just... Uh, uh you know, in this group, they didn't just show up and, and, and kind of doze out and glossy listen and take a nap and go back to normal. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8 that they read it, they responded, they were convicted, they moved uh, their life to shape around the obedience of what it said, and, and they became people of the book. They became people who lived it, and this is my responsibility as a pastor. Look at Nehemiah 8.8. He says, they read the book from the law of God. Making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. You see, it was different language. It was difficult to understand. Uh, and, And you know what a responsible pastor does in a church? I break it out for you. I break it down for you. A good church has a pastor that reads and makes it clear. A good pastor explains and gives its meaning and helps it to come alive. Now check this out. The next verse in verse 13, it says, this is our responsibility, mom and dad. It says this, on the second day of the month, the heads of the families, uh, some translations say the fathers, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. The responsibility of the family is not to make sure that you are taught by me. The responsibility of the family is to make sure that you're taught by the family leaders. That means mom and dad. So mom and dad take a proactive position and start growing in your walk with God And teaching your kids. Here's what we do in our family. We actually have a weekly bible study and uh, um, I put a bible study together and we meet and we kind of hash it out We take as long as it it takes, you know, we 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 joke around we have coffee I use a dry erase board. I find videos and I mix it in and you know I take responsibility for my family's growth and you know what you don't have to be a pastor to do that You just have to be a parent so my challenge to you is, are you healthy? Are you healthy? Pastor dad, are you healthy? Pastor mom, are you healthy? Are you reading and instructing your family? In Nehemiah 8, it says they camped out for eight days listening to God's word. And on the eighth day, they had a party. Next week, we're going to talk about what happened at that party as we end this three-week journey through Nehemiah. As Ezra read the word, they began to respond. So I ask you, Are we a healthy church? I think yes. Could we be stronger and more vibrant? Yes. I I read Nehemiah and I think, man, these are some things that we need to work on maybe as a church. But then I think, are you a healthy family? Because we're only going to be as healthy as a church as you are as a family. So I want to encourage you. Start with being a people of the book. And then let that guide you to the answers to those other areas of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you've given us a physical today. Lord, you've let us look at the word of God and kind of examine our family. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to maybe attach those words to our life and to live it, Lord. That we would actually begin to walk out the things that make for a healthy family and healthy church. God, we love you. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today, I just want to give you a second just to say maybe your mom or dad. Maybe you're a young person and you've been kind of checked out and it's time to check back in with your family. Some of you are like, you know what? I want a healthy family. I, I want my family to be healthy. My marriage to be healthy. We'll just take a minute right now just to talk to the Lord about that. Talk to God. Say, God, forgive me of my sin or the areas that I've made mistakes, the areas where I've failed. And, Lord, help me to be a person of the book. God, to be a person of the word, Lord, help me to be the leader in my home that You've called me to be. Go ahead and talk to God for a second. Ask Him, God, am I healthy? I want you guys, to look up here for a minute. You know what? Some of you guys are sick. Some of you, your family is sick today. For some of you, your marriage is sick today. But the great physician, it's not me, it's Jesus. And he is here, he says, come, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So some of you need to find the rest of God today. For your sick and weary family, and know that there's healing for that family available. There's healing in that marriage available walk according to his way father thank you for these men and women lord help us to be people of the book and a church of the book would help us to to raise up a community that sets a standard of of hope for those around us god we pray in jesus name amen if you... thank you for listening to the living way church podcast if you enjoyed this message we hope you come visit us in garland texas for directions and more information about the church go to www.livingwaychurch.cc